Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Coming up, Christopher Love from the Life Saving Society with a water safety refresher for us. Delanthea Fernando, a U of M prof in Sri Lanka, where terror attacks on churches and hotels have killed almost 300 people. And Reverend Lorraine McKenzie Shepherd at Westworth United Church, where a vigil against hate will be held later this week. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. I thought maybe just the time of year it might be a a good time to get a refresher on water safety. And joining us now in studio, Christopher Love, Water Smart and Safety Management Coordinator at the Life Saving Society. Christopher, thanks for coming in. Appreciate it. Not a problem. Thank you for the opportunity to get some messaging out there. Let's do it. Um, Give us the most important thing to keep in mind as we uh, get uh, a little warmer. We have to get a little warmer, I think, before we... And this was, by the way, this incident was at an indoor pool. But as the weather gets nicer, we're going to spend more time in the water and around the water. Give us some important things to keep in mind. Certainly. Well, like for right now, uh, if you're around the water outside, it is still cold. Our temperatures, I mean, I hear we're going to 18 today, which sounds beautiful. The water, however, is still probably only going to be like three or four above zero. And if you go into that, it's not going to be very good for you. Um, You're going to have cold shock. You're going to hyperventilate as soon as you hit it. If your head happens to be below water, that means you're going to be getting water into your system, which is not good for you. Uh, And it's going to sap your strength so that you're only going to be able to move for about 10 minutes. So for right now, you know, we've got flood stage rivers in lots of places around the province. We're saying stay well clear. If you want to look at, you know, the high water levels, you need to stay well back from the banks because those high water levels, they may have undermined some of those riverbanks and everything. And so you might think like, well, hey, I'm like 20 feet away from the water, except then the riverbank can crumble because it's been, been undercut by that flowing water. Uh, if there is flood water in your area and it's going over the road, et cetera, stay clear of that. Uh, there's been a, actually a case in Quebec that's been in the news over the past few days as well about a car going off the road into the water. You know, slow down for the conditions. Those those are big safety things as we get through the spring season, uh, flood season as general safety. Obviously, if you're going swimming in a more controlled environment, don't go alone. I'm a trained lifeguard, swimming instructor, do all this safety training, but I don't go swimming alone. I always bring somebody with me to stay safe. You know, if I get into trouble, they can call for help. They can call the lifeguard. Especially when you're swimming in an area where there is not a lifeguard on staff, right? Because we we certainly, we see that a lot. We certainly do. I mean, we advocate as an organization that all pools that are basically open on a semi-public, public basis should have lifeguards. But legislation in the province only requires your public pools to have that. There are a lot of pools that are not lifeguarded. And yeah, it is swim at your own risk. Well, bring a friend, bring a buddy. If you are a weak swimmer, poor swimmer, you're unsure of your swimming abilities, wear a life jacket or PFD while you're in that pool. Scope it out, out ahead of time. Do a survey. Is there safety equipment? Uh, you know, what what's the depth like? Is it all shallow? Is Does it go shallow to deep? Where's the drop-off? Um, these are these are things to think about that we call like layers of protection. So having a lifeguard is a layer of protection. Knowing how to swim is a layer of protection. Wearing a life jacket or PFD, it's a layer of protection. That there's safety equipment there, 
layer of protection. If you've taken uh, swim lessons or life-saving lessons or first aid training, additional layers of protection in case something goes wrong. Christopher, talk a bit about what the Life-Saving Society would like to see as far as lifeguards uh, at locations where swimming happens. What, what would you like to see? We, I mean, we've advocated for many, many years. Uh, if if it's beyond a backyard, you know, family-only swimming pool, there should be lifeguards present, uh, especially for those places that end up with larger crowds. So uh, things like hotel pools, uh, potentially condo or apartment pools, uh, beaches that are being opened up for public use. Uh, none of those are required by any regulation or law in the province to have lifeguards automatically. People can, if they choose to do so, uh, the owners or operators, uh, but uh, we believe it should be more common than it is. And if the government does legislate that, we would certainly encourage those owners and operators, you should really be considering this. Uh, it helps reduce your liability. It's going to be safer for your users. Lifeguards are well-trained and very, very good at preventing incidents by figuring out, hey, what's the unsafe behavior that's going on or mm -hmm. what am I seeing? And then they can react ahead of time as opposed to having to respond after the fact. Back to uh, what we should be doing if we're going swimming. The big one is don't go alone. Any others? Yeah, don't go alone. Well, again, learn how to swim. You right. know, there are lessons do people available. Still, do kids still, because I learned how to swim as a kid. Uh, is that still happening as much as it used to when, when I, I mean, that's a long time ago when I was a kid, but is it still happening a lot, swimming lessons? Well, oh, swimming lessons are out there. Um, one of the things that our research has shown, and I can't give you exact figures because unfortunately it's incomplete, but um, learning to swim, it can be very, very class-based or economic-based. So if you're middle class, upper class, there's a little bit more, uh, you know, free spending money in the family, you're more likely to be involved in swim lessons because you have to pay for them. Uh, if you're from an economically struggling family, you're a new immigrant to Canada, you're just learning the ropes, making ends meet, you're less likely to be involved in swim instruction because, again, the cost factor or maybe a language barrier or whatever. So uh, certainly, uh, like I say, we advocate for lifeguarded facilities. We also advocate for swimming becoming more available, whether that's through school-based programs, uh, or other uh, opportunities for people to get out there, learn the skills, so that they have at least that one layer of, uh, you know, protection when they go into the water. And I think I remember hearing, I don't know if it was you or somebody else from the Life Saving Society, but somebody was on one of our shows, not this one, but another show, talking about lessons, swimming lessons for new Canadians. Is that a program you guys have? Uh, we, we do a safety education for new Canadians in English as additional language classes. So we do dry land programming. Uh, one of our affiliates, so we have a network of partners that do training throughout the province, most of the swimming pools, etc. Uh, but one of our affiliates, uh, the, Ready Sweat, the Ready Set Swim Foundation, is running uh, our Swim to Survive program uh, for new uh, Canadians and to allow them to learn basic skills so that they at least have some skill level to protect themselves when they are around the water. Um, so that is a start, uh, one we support and would love to expand even further because right now they're just operating in Winnipeg.
You know, I remember when I was taking swimming lessons, and I, I obviously was not that good a swimmer yet, but I remember a girl in my class was having trouble, and I hopped in thinking, I'm going to help her, and then I was in trouble. So any advice with a scenario like that? Certainly. Uh, we, again, highly advocate additional training. So, yeah. uh, you know, going on, take your basic swimming, learn how to swim, take life-saving. Bronze Medallion is one of our awards. It's one that a lot of people are familiar with. It provides you with basic life-saving skills where you could help someone. But if you haven't taken that training, then our advice is stay out of the water call for assistance. If you've made the good choice to start off with and you're swimming somewhere where there are lifeguards, you call the lifeguard right away because they've got the training. If you're somewhere where there are no lifeguards, uh, stay dry, use something, give them something, the person who's drowning, give them some, excuse me, give them something that's going to make them float. So toss them a life jacket, Mm -hmm. toss them a ring boy, reach out a pool noodle to them, a paddle, whatever you have available that can support them at the surface. Um, and if they truly can't swim, they may just have to hold on to that and float until uh, additional help comes along. Or if they have a little bit of swimming ability, but they were overwhelmed because they got water in their nose or whatever, maybe once they calm down, they'll be able to kick back to the edge. You can help them out. They can get uh, follow-up care at that point in time. Let's talk a little bit about boating because we uh, are on boats in the water and uh, while you're in the boat, you're fine, but sometimes that isn't always the way it works oh, out. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Boating season is rapidly approaching for many people. I mean, the May long weekend, which is just over three and a half weeks away, is the unofficial start of summer and boating season and everything. Uh Biggest thing I can say there, three big things. One, wear your life jacket. It's too late to put it on after an incident has happened, especially if you've gone one direction and the boat's gone another. Two, boat sober. So no alcohol, no drugs in your system. If you're going out boating, uh, the effects of being on the water exacerbate the intoxication effects. uh, And uh, they also, of course, lull you into a false sense of security, uh, which is not what you need when you're out there. Because unlike the road, you can travel anywhere on the lake with the boat. So... You know, you have to be watching everywhere. And the third big thing is, uh, again, don't go boating alone. Uh, You take a buddy with you. So if one person in the boat gets in trouble, somebody else can help. But also tell someone where you're going and when you're planning to be back from your boat trip so that if you're overdue, again, a search effort, rescue effort can be initiated as soon as possible. And uh, Christopher, before I let you go, if anybody wants more information, what's the website? Certainly, yeah. You can go to our website, uh, which is lifesaving.mb, as in Manitoba, .ca. We've got lots of public education material there under the Water Smart section. Lifesaving.mb.ca. Christopher Love is here. Uh, he is the Water Smart and Safety Management Coordinator at the Life Saving Society. Christopher, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Lankan authorities have found 87 bomb detonators in the capital, Colombo. A dozen were scattered around the city's main bus depot. And hours later, they found another 75 at a garbage dump in the same area. Terror attacks on churches and hotels in the capital of Sri Lanka. And it turns out that a professor from the University of Manitoba, Delantha Fernando, is in the capital. And uh, he is, uh, by the way, a professor of agriculture and food services here. I talked to him this morning on the phone. You've been hearing clips from the interview uh, throughout the day here on CJOB. Here is the interview in its entirety. Good afternoon, Hal. 
First of all, why are you in Sri Lanka? I'm in Sri Lanka to work with two universities in Sri Lanka on the work that I do uh, in agriculture. Um, I'm a plant pathologist and I work on crop diseases. And um, uh, some of the universities in Sri Lanka have been looking for my assistance in um, uh, looking for help on some of the work-related research that I do. So that's the reason that I'm in uh, Sri Lanka at the moment. And are you in or near the capital city of Colombo? Yes, uh, because it was the weekend and because it was the Easter holiday uh, with Good Friday involved, I was in uh, Colombo and I have been very close to uh, where the the situation has uh, been, yeah. I'm reading here that the streets of the capital are deserted and there are armed security personnel standing guard on corners. Is that the case? Tell us what you're seeing there in Colombo. Uh, not exactly. So there is uh, uh, security everywhere now, but uh, the day has been fairly normal, I would say, uh, because the curfew that was in place for uh, 12 hours was lifted at 6 a.m. this morning uh, so that people can go to work and report to work, uh, even though uh, I hear most of the officers were not to full capacity today, uh, but uh, the the roads have been pretty busy. Uh, I I would say at least uh, uh, to the best of my knowledge, it was not deserted. The death toll sits at almost 300, 500 others are injured. Uh, What can you tell us about these bombings? This is the most violence that Sri Lanka has seen since the Civil War there about a decade ago, correct? That's correct. That's correct. And uh, it is very unfortunate that this happened uh, uh, on a very significant religious uh, uh, day. Uh, For Sri Lanka, as you know, Sri Lanka, the majority are Buddhists and the minority, so after the majority Buddhists, you have the Hindus, then the Muslims, and the minority are Christians, but uh, Christians are always uh, well regarded and um, they they are seen as uh, citizens of Sri Lanka. So uh, it has never been the case where Sri Lankans, uh, Christians have been ever targeted in this manner. And um, I was in church, uh, being a Christian, I was in church at uh, 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 a church uh, in uh, suburbs of Colombo when uh, at 8.45 this happened in other churches. So it's pretty easy to think about it because uh, it could have been just my church. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, it was not my church, but unfortunately, uh, three other churches were attacked at the same time that I was attending Mass. So uh, that that kind of haunts me uh, even today, uh, even after 24 hours, uh, it's it's still in my mind lingering. Um, And now that we are seeing the stories of who died and uh, 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 little babies left behind by uh, the mom dying and the father being critically injured, that was very difficult for me to see. And these are poor people and uh, they have no other means. Uh, So... It's uh, very striking to see, and all that the baby was, the I think the girl might be about m- not more than four years. She was, all that she was asking for was the mom, and uh, the mom is gone. So the uh, 
the police and everybody are trying to help and give her chocolates and whatever they can to pacify her, but it was not uh, happening because uh, I think this, the trauma and the, the kids saw what happened and the, the ma- she was lying over the mom and uh, trying to tug her to, uh, and ask her to get up, get up, get up, but it didn't happen. So it is very, very tough to see some of this. And this is only one story out of uh, 300 plus. So uh, you can just imagine what Sri Lanka is going through at this at this moment. So and, and they are still finding uh, a few more bombs and IEDs and claymores in different places. So it was a very well coordinated attack. And if I want to make an analogy, I would say it's uh, very uh, systematically done, just like the 9-11. Uh, uh, because it was carried out at the exact time, whether it was in the three churches or the three uh, five-star hotels. So uh, very coordinated effort, and all, uh, as far as we now know, all the six attacks were carried out by uh, suicide bombers. So that's the danger, because uh, in, a, in a situation like this, you are not sure whether there are many more suicide bombers uh, waiting to attack again. Uh, because uh, this could be the uh, tip of the iceberg. So that's that's the scare that uh, Sri Lankans are having today, and because they are finding more bombs at the moment as well. And what do you know of this group? The government says a local militant group is responsible. What do you know of this group? Yeah, so at the moment, uh, uh, the, the government has not released uh, enough information for me to be... Uh, be able to make a very uh, uh, confident uh, naming of the group. Uh, it seems like a uh, Islamic group uh, that made this attack. Uh, looking, uh, judging from the names that are coming out uh, of the people that they have uh, apprehended and uh, they have named the group. I, I exactly don't. Uh, recognize that group. Uh, uh, maybe it's a new group. Uh, so I'm not I'm not 100% sure how to answer your question, other than to say that it seems to be an Islamic uh, extremist group. I'm so glad you're okay, and thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Hal. Delantha Fernando is a University of Manitoba professor in Sri Lanka. Very close call for him. Well, certainly anti-Semitism worldwide has been on the rise in recent years. And of course, this brings it right to our own backyard. There there have been, as you mentioned, several incidents at Burmax. And um, this time with uh, a physical assault on an employee, it's, it's, it's really quite frightening and of concern. Bill Jarnowski, the executive director of the Jewish Heritage Centre for Western Canada. She is there from, uh, she was on the start this morning. That's audio from the morning show here on CGOB. She's talking there about an attack on an employee at Burmax Cafe on Corden Avenue. Burmax Cafe and Bistro anti-Semitic vandalism and the employee recovering after being attacked. So on uh, Thursday night, there will be a vigil against hate. It is uh, happening at Westworth United Church and Reverend Lorraine McKenzie Shepherd joins us on the phone now. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. (laughs) 
Tell us what you have planned for Thursday night. So this Thursday, um, from 6.30 to 7.30, we are going to be having an interfaith prayer vigil um, in support of the Jewish community in the aftermath of the the increasing, uh, seemingly increasing level of violence directed at now both person and property. Um, and we are wanting to stand together as a city of Winnipeg um, to say no to anti-Semitism, to be very clear that we, we're not a city that welcomes that. Why is that so important? Why do we do this? Well, I'm naive, I guess, in my belief that uh, if, we, if we can stand together across various identities, whether that be religious or any minority group identity, and hold hands that we can uh, have a, a counter voice that might be louder um, and in, in some ways gentle and loud <laughs> uh, that will allow compassion and healing to have the final word. And I agree with you, standing together like this is really important, but will we ever win this war on hate, do you think? Mm. I ha- I have to keep hoping. Um, if if I if I lost hope, then uh, I would be in trouble. <laughs> and so, uh, part of it is my faith, I guess. Our, our, I think from various faith perspectives, it it gives us the audacity to have hope in the face of hopelessness. Um, and so, uh, I have to believe that we just keep working together and keep moving forward um, and do the best we can. I have a therapist on my show every week, and we were talking recently about hate. It's sort of an emotion I don't understand. I don't hate anybody. Uh, Some people I might not like, but I don't hate anybody. I, I have a hard time understanding how people can get to the point of hating like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I do too. I, I, it baffles me as to as to how someone could reach that point of, well, maybe it's despair in their own life. I, I don't know what the reasons are. Um, often underneath hate is fear. I'm not sure what, what the fear is about. Uh, I'm not a therapist, so I just guess. Um, but I guess the other thing with, with some of this hate that takes a, a violent turn is that it's not, it's not, they're not isolated incidents. They, they really are systemic and, um, in our world as well as our country, and unfortunately now it seems in our city. And so to address it, um, I mean, we need to stand firm against it, but we probably need to do some, some serious uh, analysis of what is going on, uh, both, both, both from the psychological point of view and the sociological point of view. And before I let you go, give us the details of Thursday night. Time, where, address, all that stuff. Great. Uh, so it's at Westworth United Church, that's 1750 Grosvenor. Uh, it will be Thursday, April 25th from 6.30 to 7.30. And we will be having people from various faith traditions offer prayers and very brief words of reflection in that, in that hour, so that we really are truly going to be having an interfaith uh, prayer vigil that um, will see people come together across many, many divides uh, to be able to stand firmly together with, with one voice. And so we invite all of Winnipeg, whoever is able to come and interested in standing with us, to, um, to please come, because a, a strong showing will, will also bring a strong message to our, to our city. A city, I hope, a message of hope. Reverend, thanks for doing this on Thursday night, and thanks for telling me about it. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. 
Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.